See to it that you do not look down on one of these little ones, because I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man came to save what was lost. I had a colleague. You don't need to know who it was. I had a colleague who could not read this verse correctly. We talked about it often. But he would always say, their angel in heaven always sees the face of my father who is in heaven. But it's not. It's angels in heaven always see the face of my father who is in heaven. And why is that? I think because of past education or what have you. But their angels in heaven. Does each person have a guardian angel? Well, I'd like to walk you through the three primary passages that flesh out this doctrine for us, okay? Clearly, we have angels looking out for us all, right? There are angels. Some of them in the Bible appear to be angels that govern whole nations. Um, when Daniel is waiting for one messenger, the angel finally shows up and apologizes for being late because he was struggling against the prince of Persia. Um, that, we learn a lot from that, uh, that moment in time. That, angel, that an angel could be late says a lot to me. Um, and I wonder how many bullet points I could draw out of that one. I haven't tried to yet. Um, but let's just talk about this, the idea of guardian angels. Number one, angels, plural, carried the soul of Lazarus to heaven in Luke 16. Do they have to hire additional angels to carry a guy's soul to heaven? Souls that don't weigh anything? No, they don't have to. But, or are there carrier angels? Well, let's just leave this one sit. Angels, plural, carry the soul of Lazarus to heaven. Angels, plural, rejoice over the repentance of one sinner. And although I would think that all of heaven would rejoice over the repentance of one sinner. If you think about the way that the world goes these days, is there a sinner repenting frequently? So is heaven just a constant interruption of uproars of joy over repented sinners? I don't, maybe. I don't, that, that, that disturbs my thoughts about what heaven is like a little bit. You got something to say? Go ahead, Beth. But if they're trying to get through the Te Deum, they're not going to be able to finish the song. And, you know, that, that, that's kind of my thought also at the same time. So that's why I wonder about this one. But nevertheless, the best one, I think, it goes back to Jacob, though, Genesis 31. So the Mahanaim, uh, Jacob is approached, or rather sees, two camps of angels ahead of him as he's on his way. And he's alone. And yet there are all of these angels that suddenly are with him and that he's permitted to see. And he even names the place, two camps. He says, Mahanaim. Um, so that's a pretty cool moment too. And so uh, we've gone down this path. Maybe it's too late for me to ask this, but I'm going to tell you 
There might be, I'm about to show you the, the doctrinal dogmatic conclusion, but you might not want to see all of it. Because there's good news, but there might also be bad news. So are you ready for this? We're, I guess we're all grown-ups, but still it scares me. All right, well, let's go. Gerhardt. Johann Gerhardt wrote in 1625 the doctrinal textbook that destroyed the doctrine, uh, the, the, the idea of dogmatics because he wrote so much. So 33 volumes of advanced doctrine. It's huge. I've been buying it a book at a time for the past several years in English. It's not all done trans, being translated yet, but his, uh, his Latin is very thick. But uh, let's move on. Gerhard says, We should not assign the guardianship of one person to one angel in such a way as to exclude the assistance of the rest. In other words, do you have a guardian angel? No, I have many. Okay? Maybe I should have left it there. But his next word is conversely. So, conversely, because a legion of wicked angels was in one man in Mark 13, and because when the devil was once cast out, he took seven more wicked spirits in Luke 11, thus it seems that not just one devil lies in wait for each person, but several. The ministries of the good angels are united for good, but the ministries of the wicked for evil. So, yes, you have multiple good angels, but there also probably would be then multiple demons who have your name tag right now. So, uh, it gives us more to pray about, doesn't it? And with regard to our children and our grandchildren, it gives us more to pray about. You know, Lord, protect them, be with them. Remember Job's prayer for his children? Yeah. Forgive my sins and my sons is the way that translates into my nightly prayers. You know, you don't have to know my whole nightly prayers, but that's, that's one of the lines that it's not really written, but it sure is the same night after night. Um, long nightly prayer. All right, back to Jesus. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go looking for the one that wandered away? If he finds it, amen, I tell you, he rejoices more over that one sheep than over the 99 that did not wander away. In the same way, your Father in heaven does not want even one of these little ones to perish. It's not that God is unhappy with you because you are faithful, but he's delighted when somebody who has fallen away repents and comes back. Because do you get into trouble and have to repent also? So the Father is happy with that. I apologize that I don't have my picture of sheep here. I realized just this second, oh yeah, I was going to finish that this morning, but I didn't. So we'll move on to this. Discipline, repentance, and forgiveness. I talked about this in a sermon just a couple weeks ago. I gave you my little poem that identifies Matthew 18. We're going to talk about it again today, I guess. So if your brother sins against you, Jesus says, go and show him his sins just between the two of you. 
If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. What is the first step in discipline? Yep. I like to say, first you go. First you go. What are we, on page two in your notes? Is that about right? Oh, I didn't go over the point of comparison in the, in the parable of the lost sheep there, did I? Apologize. Maybe we'll go back to it if we have time later. 16. Well, actually, staying here on 15, it's not easy to be the one who goes first, is it? What you're doing is a sin. That is a terribly hard thing to do because when you're one-on-one, the natural response is to lash out. And it's uh, more and more what our culture is teaching us to do. Who, what right do you have to judge me? That kind of a thing. Um, so is this where you do that within the church? It's our responsibility to rebuke those inside the church. But outside it's... Well, if they're not a believer, right. where do I start? If they have no motive for repenting, if they have no God to be afraid of, why would they want to repent? But if they profess to be a believer, then you have work to do. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody is just a pagan, then we gotta we gotta start with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And if somebody has uh, what, relapsed into their paganness, then we gotta go backwards. Yeah. Okay. Second, if he will not listen, take one or two others along with you so that, quote, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's a quote from from, uh, Moses. Um, And so the second step is to go, or two or three, but take a couple along with you, at least two. And also, there, there are witnesses to this, whatever it is. You are sinning. This can also be troublesome because sometimes it's easier to go alone again. And to go with multiple people, it smacks of uh, ganging up on somebody, or it can And so it's hard to do that way. Usually one person takes the lead and the other one is just present. I know that there were a couple times where Pastor Sutton and I got to this stage with somebody. And we had to go together to talk to somebody about their sinfulness. And typically, we would agree in the car before we got out who takes the lead here. And uh, that was always on Don's mind right away as we were walking up. He'd, He'd be like, you've had contact with them before? Yeah, I have. Why don't you go first? Or he would say, I've, I've been in touch with them, I'll go. And I would, I would just be fine with that, you know. Um, and it hasn't come up, or it didn't come up in my short time just with Pastor Scharf and me alone together. Um, and uh, things are a little bit different now. So, but we used, to, we used to talk about this ahead of time. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. Of course, if back in the previous stage the person did listen, did repent, then you're all then you're done, you know. 
Uh, but if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And now, really, it's a four-step process, but my little poem only has three. So the, the third step, if that leaves you in the lurch, take it to the church, is where we would then go to the entire church. In a congregation of this size, we usually have to go to a representative body of the church and not before the whole congregation. When I was a missionary, and we topped off at 26 on a Palm Sunday, but we typically had 11 or 12 would I think discipline in that group, in that whole group, would have been appropriate, don't you? Um, and so we probably would have done it that way, although I never did, um, at least in those two years. But um, yeah, take it to the church. And if that person repents, then uh, once again, you're, you're finished. You welcome the person back, and that's fine. But if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as an unbeliever or a tax collector. And the final step in discipline then is excommunication. Yeah. So that person, strictly speaking, excommunication would be to forbid them the sacrament, um, which we're talking about the Lord's Supper there. But also, would we also ask them to not attend, to stay... Well, to stay out of our public Bible classes, perhaps. Um, I would rather not be answering your questions in an open group, you know. But one-on-one -on -one Bible study or go back to bit class or something like that. Uh, what about general worship? If somebody who has been excluded from the congregation wants to show up on Sunday morning and listen, if they don't come up to communion, would we allow them? I don't think you can stop them from doing it. It it does, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to get to Jesus' uh, binding here. We talked about this more in chapter sixteen, but it occurs here again in chapter eighteen. Amen. I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth or untie will be loosed or untied in heaven. In other words, unlocked or set free. And let me just ask this question because this has come up in my own family. Is there a return from or release from excommunication? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's it should be contingent on only one thing. What's that one thing? Repentance, And if it's a public sin, uh, maybe a display of that repentance in some way. Um, if, you know, whatever it might happen to be. Um, should there be a penalty imposed by the church if this woman had an affair and she is now excommunicated because of the affair, should she be forbidden from re-entering communion, for example, for one year or something like that. And it's marked on the calendar in the pastor's office or something like that. It bothers me that I've seen that. Um, and uh, I was in those days young enough that, and, 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 uh, and, and I guess obedient enough that I would just think, huh, I guess I don't understand this well enough yet. 
Now I would fly into a rage and demand from that pastor, where are you getting this false doctrine from? But maybe that's just because I've grown a little bit. Um, maybe someday I'll even be a grown up, but we'll see about that. But theologically, I want to know where that would come from because that's completely wrong. And I, we don't see it in our circuit. We don't see it in our conference, and we talk about it. And so I'm glad of that. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. What about a pastor who has open sin and is removed from either rules of mm -hmm. from his call? Yeah. What would, what would that take for? I know of a pastor in a different Lutheran church that is a pastor again. Even a doctor of Hebrew. The, 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 the issue is offense. Right. And if people wonder about offense, then he can't serve. He can't serve that group, certainly. So, thinking of the, the, the burning or the weak. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you don't want the weak to, to wonder or stumble. And when you have somebody, uh, like, and there have been cases at the college, too, with a professor who's fallen into sin or whatever, and they cannot serve here. Um, and in some cases, you have uh, somebody who just decides to jump ship and they go to a different church body or something. You can't stop them from doing that. Um, but I do have to pray about that myself quite often because once in a while, that's an unrepentant sinner, uh, a former called worker who gets uh, occasionally... Uh, if, they, if they don't submit to the, this kind of discipline, they can get downright uppity about, you know, well, right, what right have you guys to judge me and that kind of a thing. And I pray I don't run into that guy in a parking lot, you know, in some other state because I really don't want his nose blood to be on my knuckles. But it might happen, you know. Yeah, yeah. Who can't seem, can't remember, can't stop remembering something that's been done to them or in the church. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we're all yeah. under that same law of love, right? Mm -hmm. And what Christ said in the prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive yeah. those. I understand it's different between public, yeah. public ministry and... Yeah. And that person, when, when they're forgiven, they don't cease to be part of the, 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 the una sancta, the, the holy Christian church. And they have their private ministry, but not public ministry any longer. Yeah. Three questions. Hopefully they're softballs, but they get harder. Are you ready? Okay. So the pitcher looks, the catcher puts down a one. That's just a fastball. You ready for it? Okay. If an excommunicated man dies without repenting and insisting that he doesn't care or that he was not sinning, in his opinion, what's his status if he dies that way? Damned. Is he damned? It seems like he's damned. Yeah, he's damned. 
I mean, you pray, but if he says I didn't sin and he was sinning, he's damned. Let's try it again. If an excommunicated man repents and is restored to membership and fellowship with the church, what's his status? He's a forgiven believer. He's life in heaven, right? Yeah. That was more of a lob. That was a softball. Okay. Let's try this one. If an excommunicated man repents but dies before he's restored to membership and fellowship with the church, what is his status? The Lord knows. But I like the repent word there. So we leave him in the Lord's hands. This one falls under a similar category, similar category, not identical, but as the baby who dies before the parents can bring it to the font. You know you know what Luther said about those babies? They are baptized in the Lord's death. That's the, that's the way Luther put that, that comforting words. And you know what? The phone rang when I ran across that quote the other day. And my copy of Luther's works fell shut. And I had four of them open and at that time. And I never could find that quote again. I'm, I, I wish, I, it's not in table talk, I know that much. But I don't know which volume it's in, but I'll find it again someday. But I've been, I've been pouring over things looking for that one again. But a great quotation. All right, a little bit more from Jesus here. Amen, I tell you again. If two of you on earth agree or to ask for anything... It'll be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. When we come together to pray, the Lord hears our prayers. Um, I have an associate whose voice is too loud on the phone. And he would say the same thing about me. Okay? Some of us talk too loud on the phone. But I like the example that we set for each other because we, all, we both comment about this all the time. I liked your prayer at the end of the conversation. We weren't listening to the conversation, but you can't help over here. What shouted in the next room, right? And so, but we do listen to each other's prayers um, where we close a phone conversation often with, can we just pray about that? And then we pray and we go, yeah. In fact, where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am among them. It can be a bother to a, a member who has been gone for a long time and you ask them, you haven't been to church for a very long time and they say, well, I can worship Jesus at, in my house. I don't have to come to church. Well, what do, you, where, what do you do with this verse then? And what do you do with the fact that the word church means gathered? And what do you do you know, with all of those things, with Jesus telling us to gather together to worship and so forth. And Hebrews, do not give up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing. Um, and uh, no, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but you're not helping anybody else. And Jesus wants you to be of help to other people as well. To gather together in my name, Jesus says, there I am. Then Peter came up and asked Jesus, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, not seven, but I tell you as many as 77 times. Um, and it seems like that's what the Greek word means. It's not really a math problem. 
It could be 70 times 7, but it seems like it's 77. Um, but still, have you ever had anybody repent 77 times in one day? You ever had anybody repent seven times in one day? When my wife was sick, I had to give her injections twice a day um, in her belly. And one day, <laughs> she slapped me. She said, cut it out, because I kept apologizing before I gave her the shot. You know, the big puppy dog eyes, I'm so sorry. And then she, she finally just said, just give me the shot. Just, you're not sinning against me. You're helping me. Stop apologizing. It's okay. Just give me the shot. But I wonder if we would treat each other that way. When Luther would go to, um, to, uh, to uh, what was it called? Um, uh, to, the, to the booth. To confession. Thank you. Um, uh, and he would spend, you know, an hour in there and then get out and then, and then step back in. And, oh, and, you know, his poor pastor who had to listen to that and, and, and said, oh, come back when you really have sinned, you know. He would, and, uh, and finally, what did that guy do to Luther? He made him teach. He thought, this is a monk who has too many sins on his mind. He should go teach theology. And so that's what he made him do. Um, yeah, yeah. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thanks for letting me do this. God bless you. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.